sing hallelujah hallelujah
get to our home is through the cross. Amen? I want you to find somebody you haven't talked to today and let them know that the cross is the way home. Let's stand and greet one another. as you make your way back to your seat. You may be seated, and uh, I'd like to take your attention to the scripture that's on the wall. Out of John chapter 7, it says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. Just a couple Sundays ago, uh, Jimmy Draper was here, and one of the illustrations that he used was that uh, the Sea of Galilee and the Black Sea have the exact same water. Do you remember that illustration? The difference is that the Sea of Galilee, a river runs out of it, flows down into the Black Sea, but there's nothing that flows out of the Black Sea. And it is a what sea? Dead sea. Dead sea. Look at that scripture. 
The scriptures said that they will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. It's not about us getting. If we go to the Lord and we drink of what he is providing, the scripture, it's going to flow out of us and be shared with others. Let's take a moment to pray that as we've come here in this place today and we sing his praises and we hear the word preached and proclaimed, that what we do and what we hear, that we'll respond in obedience to tell others about it, about what he is doing. Let's just have a few moments of prayer. God, we come to you now with hearts of gratitude for how you take care of us, how you've provided salvation for us. Your word, your scripture, we thank you for that. And may we come thirsty, ready to hear from you, ready to allow you to use us to reach a lost and dying world. May we not be the Dead Sea where it just comes in and never flows out to anybody. But may we be the Sea of Galilee where there's life. So much life in that water. May we be like that. Streams of living water because of you can flow out of us. God, you're so good. May we not be afraid or ashamed to show it and tell it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
nothing that can compare to you and the promise that we have in you. With just your voices, I want to sing that chorus again. Amy, if you can throw those words back up there. Just your voices. Just your voices. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us we've worshiped together through singing i want to recognize those of you that might be visiting with us as guests we're delighted that you're here i want to draw your attention to a card looks like this it's a communication card in front of you and you can fill that out and let us know of your attendance here and if any way that we can be praying for you or minister to you any anything that you would like for us to know about yourself no pressure at all but that's available and you can drop that in one of the offering uh, uh, stands out in the atrium after the service and you can also text that to 94,000, just text Westgate, 94,000, and uh, you can fill out that information. I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, I know that you have slept since last Sunday, so I want to run by a couple of things that we talked about as we began this series last week called Mandates. We were talking about this whole idea of God saying to us, and Jesus saying to us, teach everyone as my disciples to obey everything that I have commanded you. It's it's right in the middle of the Great Commission, which we're so familiar with, of God calling us to make disciples. But a big part of that is to teach one another, to teach others, to teach ourselves how to obey everything that Jesus Christ has commanded. There are a lot of commands in the Scripture, aren't there? Recall we talked about the Old Testament has about uh, maybe 600 of them, New Testament, some 800 commands, and Jesus has given us about 50 uniquely different commands some of them somewhat overlap and we're going to be talking about those we've talked about many of them as we went through the sermon on the mount and so we will not address those quite specifically as we did through the series we did a couple of years ago but just to rehearse a little bit of where we went as we think about the commands that Jesus has given us the mandates that we have he's reminded us that his commands are not burdensome but they're actually life-giving and John talked about that specifically in his epistle in first John chapter 5 saying that the commands of Jesus are not burdensome, but actually they give us life. They help us to overcome the world. Jesus came to give us life in all of its abundance. And Moses was talking to the people of Israel, saying, this is your life. These commands will actually give you life. You know, the hope of this series is that these commands will give us comfort. Uh, I am aware that sometimes uh, we can get fixated and 
almost beat up ourselves and i know that i can move in that direction sometimes my preaching is a little bit harsh in that direction and it's idea that we got to keep pressing forward and moving and doing but i hope that we'll take comfort in the commands to recognize that there is great comfort given to us through the commands and that's why as you look at the the sermon slides there's this beautiful meadow it's to remind us of the green pastures of psalm 23 that's where jesus wants to take us with these commands he doesn't want to take us into lockdown. I think we've had enough of that already, right? He doesn't want us to go into isolation. He doesn't want us to feel suppressed. He wants to liberate us. And his commands are the vehicle for, for doing that. I am so thankful for the many things that my parents gave me. And one of those is their insistence that I do things that I didn't want to do. Things that I didn't like one of those was school. School was not an option in our house. Is it an option in your house? It, it wasn't in Myers. Uh, you didn't have a. You didn't even have to think about it when you had a school day. You were going to school. If it was left up to me, I would have never gone to school. I had plenty of friends in the neighborhood. We could have played all the sports that we wanted all day long. That would have suited me just fine. But I'm also thankful that my parents took church as seriously as school. As a young teenager, I wasn't interested in going to church. And I made um, my fair share of complaining about having to go to church all the way to the car as our family loaded up and went to church. If it was my choice, I would have never gone to church. It wouldn't have been a part of my life. I had more important things to do so I thought but I'm so thankful that my parents loved me enough to make sure that I was exposed to the things of God and to the people of God and because of that I am infinitely better and I am eternally grateful Jesus commands work the same way they're for our good even when we whine about them not being as delightful as we would like. We talked last week about obedience revealing our relationship with God. That it reveals we really are in relationship with God if we obey what he has commanded us to do. It's beyond just thinking about it and having the best of intentions. We talked about what would Jesus do? And we can think about what Jesus would do all day long and still not do what he did. I think of the mom that was trying to coach her children who were fighting over the very last brownie in the house. She thought this is a great teachable moment, as all parents would. She asked her children, what would Jesus do? The older brother says Jesus would break the brownie in two and he would make 5,000 more. That's kind of the way we think yeah Jesus would do that but I'm going to do something different obedience reveals our love for God obedience is reflected in love love is obedience if you love me you will keep my commandments we saw that parable of the two sons and what I think is really significant in that parable of the two sons being invited to go out not invited they were actually told by their father to go out and to do the work and and one responded by going and one did not but what's interesting in the parable is the father doesn't come back and ask him again, tell them again. Sometimes if someone is not repeating this over and over and over, we think it doesn't matter anymore, but it's, no, 
The commands stand true. Either we obey Jesus or we don't. Do we believe in him or we don't? Is he Lord or is he not? Well, as we think about this series of mandates, because I think, truthfully, I know that I think like this. Maybe you don't, but I I think it's almost like if we were looking in a house somewhere and we would see a room that has a tag on the door that says commands of Christ and we would know that they're all in there but we're just not exactly sure what they are or how they're arranged we know that we want to be obedient but we're not exactly sure it's like the person that says I'm thinking I'm going to get to heaven because I keep the Ten Commandments and you ask them which one is the toughest and they can't even name them it's as if we know they're there But how do we kind of assimilate them so that we can pay greater attention to them because we know that they give us life? And so there's really two categories for all the commands. And I worked and worked and worked, and I I hope this makes sense. But there are two categories. And they're found in Matthew chapter 22, verses 35 through 40, which we know. We know that very well. But let's just take the context a little bit better. It says one of the experts in the law tested Jesus with a question which is the greatest commandment of law? What's his point of reference? Thinking back to the over 600 commandments in the Old Testament. And then Jesus, as we all know so well, replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. And then the second is like it, of equal importance, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And we're going to talk more about that, but what I want us to see today is when you think of the commands of Christ, there are two categories. Love God and love others so when you try to assimilate all of it as i'm trying to assimilate it the commands are love god love others okay good so what is the process for doing that jesus gave a process as well and that's in another command that we will address in a couple of weeks and the process is to deny yourself and to follow jesus luke chapter 9 verse 23 He said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross daily and follow me. So there are two categories, love God, love others, and the process for obeying those commands and all that fall under those are to deny yourself and to follow Christ. And I hope that will make more sense as we go in the weeks to come. But I think that's, I have to operate in a very simple way for my simple mind. And so if you think about the two categories and then the process for doing that, deny yourself and follow Christ, it will help us to obey these commands. And when the commands of Christ really feel burdensome to us, it's a pretty good indicator that we're trying to do it under our own power and we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to work through us, not completely depending upon him. We have a very individualistic mindset in America specifically that we can do this, but we cannot obey the mandates that Christ has given us on our own. If we do, it will be very burdensome, wearisome, and we will give up. We depend upon Christ. So we deny ourselves, and we follow Christ. But today, I want to talk about the very first essential command of all, and that is found in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. You can also find it in Matthew chapter 4, But the essential first step is this, to repent and to be born again. Listen to what it says in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. 
The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the opening statement of Jesus' earthly ministry. And it's real important for us to get the context of where it's found. In Mark, as well as Matthew, we're reminded that Jesus has just spent 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by the evil one. And he comes out of that experience. And the very first thing he says is, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. It was right on his mind. He had just seen what sin has to offer, what the evil one is trying to do. And he's, he's saying, you will never get beyond this unless you repent of your own independence, your own arrogance to believe that you are good enough in the sight of God, and you turn to Christ. What does repent mean? It literally means to perceive afterwards. Think about that for a moment. Like, what? To perceive afterwards. It is the idea of your mind seeing into the future and recognizing that you need to have a change of direction. It is a change of heart and a change of mind. Your body doesn't respond until your mind says to do something. Well, when you're older it does, but when you're thinking about something, it comes to your mind, and then there's a response to that. And that's the way repentance, it comes to your mind to say, something needs to change. My attitude, my heart, my perspective is what it means. And repentance in the New Testament is most often used as a verb. You remember what a verb is. It's an action word. It's called to action. It means that we are to have a responsive action to our sin. We're to respond to our sin by turning away from it. It starts in the mind and then is demonstrated through our actions. Look at John chapter 3, verse 7. Think of the context here. Here is Jesus talking to a religious leader, Nicodemus. Very informed, very educated, very knowledgeable. And in John chapter 3, verse 7, this is what Jesus said. He said, Nicodemus, you shouldn't be surprised at me saying, here's the command. You must be born again. Not, I hope you're born again. Think about being born. You must be born again. And it's so interesting in the context here that Jesus is speaking to a highly esteemed religious leader. If anybody was on the side of God, it was Nicodemus. And Jesus says to him, friend, you need to repent and you need to be born again, something you cannot do yourself. Think about that the terminology, the concept of being born. How much did you contribute to your birth? Your mom might say, oh, a lot. And we didn't. It was a process that we were engaged in. Someone else was doing. And when we are born again, it is God redeeming us. It is making us into a brand new creation. And so the very first command of all, because we might say, okay, it's to love God, it's to love others, it's to deny yourself, it's to follow God. Yes, those are very important. But we will never get there unless we repent of our sins and we turn to God. Repentance is the acknowledgement that I've done something wrong. One of our granddaughters, is a, uh, she's got a lot of energy, and 
our daughter and son-in-law are doing a great job of parenting, and, and one of the things that they do at night is they ask, is there anything that you're sorry for and you need to acknowledge? And they'll go around and, I'm sorry that I was being selfish today, or I'm sorry that I hurt you, I'm sorry that I said that. And one of our granddaughters responded one night and said, I'm not sorry for anything. I've been on my best behavior all day. And we laugh at that, but is that not kind of the stance that a lot of us can take? I don't have anything to repent of. I've been on my best behavior. And that's not to make us feel bad. Is I think sometimes we don't focus enough on the sins that keep us from being everything that God wants us to be. How many of you would say that you're arrogant? Probably not many. I mean, you don't go around boasting and you're not cocky. But you know, when we have a critical spirit about other people, it is the epitome of arrogance because we would say, I would never do that. I would never behave like that. I'm so above that kind of behavior. And there's these subtle things. Selfishness. How destructive is selfishness in relationships and enterprises of life? Do we need to repent of our selfishness? Do we need to repent of being self-absorbed? Do we need to repent of the greediness or the desire for comfort and convenience? As we look here and it, and it says that we must repent of our sin, there is this initial repentance of turning from our sin and receiving Christ. Jesus didn't say to Nicodemus, you need to study harder. It's in there. He said, in all of your knowledge, you have missed the greatest knowledge of all, that you need to be recreated by the power of Jesus Christ. Billy Graham used to say this so well. He would say that in our culture, we're dangerously close to saying to the prodigal son, it's not necessary to return to your father and home. We can make you comfortable in the pig pen. Without repentance, we will seek to find our comfort in the pig pen when our greatest need is to repent of our sins and turn to the Father to be recreated. So friend, let me ask you, have you repented of your sins, of your sinful nature, a point in time, and we will see that this continues, but a point in time when you say, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. And as a demonstration of my repentance, I fully surrender all that I am and all that I have to you. I turn away from everything to follow you. Have you done that? That is to repent and to invite Jesus Christ to make you born again, to become alive in Christ. I think probably we should go ahead and pray right now just for that one purpose. I have a little bit more to say, and I know that's disconcerting to some of you, but I have a little bit more to say. But right now, we need to stop and pause because maybe someone in this room has saying, yes, I need to repent and be born again. And it starts with a simple prayer.
that enters into a relationship with God. So let's pray together. If you've never received Christ, would you pray a prayer similar to this? Lord, we do pray that if there's anyone in this room that realizes now through the truth of your word, they have never repented of their sins, they've turned away and turned to you, that they would voice a prayer similar to this to allow them to repent and to be born again. Lord Jesus, I recognize that yes, indeed, I am a sinner in desperate need, not just a little, but I am in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins, past, present, and future, and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I am so serious about this relationship that I am surrendering everything that I have and all that I am. And I promise, I commit, I vow to follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, if anyone in this room just prayed that, might they recognize that they are forever changed. It's not what we do. It's not the way that we pray. It's not the words of the prayer. It is what you have done, and we acknowledge that. And you are the one that saves us and causes us to be born again, to become your child. We are children of the evil one until we were born into your kingdom. By acknowledging our sin and repenting and receiving you as Lord and Savior, we become your child, and we're so grateful for that. Help each new believer that prays that prayer to truly follow hard after you in Christ's name we pray. Now let me say one more thing, because now we have said, okay, hopefully everybody has committed their life to Christ. What do you do after you're a Christian? Does repentance still apply to our lives? Yes. So we have this command to repent and to be born again, but then that command continues in a different way for Christians. It is an essential, unending tool, and that is to repent. For all of us as Christians, we must continually be repenting. In the book of Revelation, Jesus responds to seven churches. Two of them, Smyrna and Philadelphia, are not exhorted to repent. They seem to be doing what is right. But Jesus is speaking to followers of him, Christ's followers. And he says to them over a half dozen times to those churches, repent. Turn from the way that you are doing things and turn back to me. Why? Because we so oftentimes get off track. And so once you pray to receive Christ, once you repent of your sins and receive Christ, you are forever changed. And you don't have to keep praying that prayer. Many people do. They keep on thinking, why? Well, I'm not sure I did it right. Once you pray to receive Christ, Christ redeems you and saves you, and you are forever changed. But we still need to repent because we still need to keep turning away from sin. I'm reminded of a man who continually came down during a time of invitation to his pastor. And he would come down and he would say, Lord, would you please take the cobwebs out of my life? And each invitation, he would come down, he would grab his pastor and he would say, would you pray with me? And he would pray that same prayer, Lord, would you take the cobwebs out of my life? And after hearing that week, after week, after week, after week, after week, 
One day the pastor stopped him in his tracks and he prayed, Lord, kill the spider. (laughs) Friends, we need to kill the spiders in our life. And that's what repentance is. It's not, oh, I'm sorry, oh, I'm sorry, oh, I'm sorry. It's saying, God, I'm turning away from this. Every time she says that, I get mad. I'm going to turn away from that. Why is it I always have to share my opinion about everything? Lord, change me so that that doesn't always happen. We need to continue to repent of the sin. I think of this story that took place when I was a pastor over in Houston. It was in 1995, toward the end of February. And the Jersey Village Baptist Church was having what they thought was a normal Sunday night service started at 6 p.m. Everybody came with no expectation that anything would be any different than what they normally did in the evening service. But during the invitation, a young girl came down and she took the pastor's hand and she said, I need to confess my sin and ask for God's forgiveness. And then after she had done that, and you don't have to confess to the pastor, by the way, you just confess it to the Lord, but there is value from time to time of of just saying, would you hold me accountable? Or I just need to tell you this. She turned to the church, young girl, and said, I just need your encouragement that I will move away from this sin. Well, because of that, that prompted another person to confess their sin and ask for support from the church for prayer. And the 6 o'clock service, it was normally over at 7, continue on, and it was, it was 9 o'clock. It's a three-hour service. And so one couple went and relieved the couple that was back in the nursery. And you can only imagine some of the sin that was in their heart for having to be back there for the extra hours. And, and they came in. And as they came in, they saw the work of God taking place there. And their hearts were already so heavy because... Their son had left home four months ago with the idea that he didn't want to live by any rules. He wanted to live life the way that he wanted to live because that's the way that life is to be lived. And they went to the altar and they began to weep and they began to pray for their son. At nine in the evening, two hours after the service should have been over. As they were kneeling and praying at the altar, Jersey Village Baptist Church over in Houston, Texas, On February 26th of 1995, their son was down at Mardi Gras in Galveston. And he felt God prompting him to say, it is time to get out of the pig pen as a prodigal and go home. And he made the 90-minute drive back from Galveston up to Jersey Village, north of Houston. He went home to ask for his parents' forgiveness, to repent, to turn from his sins, but the house was dark. He knew it was Sunday night, why weren't his parents home? They should have been home a long time ago, but he thought maybe, maybe for some reason they're still at the church. So he went to the church. The deacon recognized him at the door, pointed to his parents who were still praying at the altar. The son went down to the altar, asked for forgiveness of his parents. The family was restored. All that started, why? Did you remember the beginning of the story? Because one young girl said, I need to repent 
of my sins and ask my church family to help me. Friends, maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe it's me. Maybe I'm the one that is holding us back as a church. Maybe it's me. And maybe all of us could say the same thing. Maybe there's something in our life that God is saying, I just want you to let it go and give it to me. How do we obey the mandates? Remember? In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, we talked about that last week. Such a great verse. God's at work in us. Friends, I believe that God is at work in Westgate in such a powerful way right now. He is pruning us. We are going through a pruning process all through this experience of COVID. He prunes churches and he prunes individuals. I still remember the day that I said that back in the gym. And he's reminded me of that. He is pruning us. Will we cooperate in his pruning? Will he allow him to to prune away the things that we don't need in our lives? God is at work in our lives, giving us the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. Only God can do that through us. I love y'all. Thank you for listening. And let's, let's now pray. Some of you are saying, oh man, I hope it's not like Jersey Village and we're here till 11 o'clock. But you know, I think if that happened to us, we probably wouldn't begrudge it. We'd be so thankful for what God's doing. And I'm not going to try to pry you out of your pew. I, I'm convinced I cannot do that. I have tried to get you out of your pew for 24 years. I am convinced I will never, ever, 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 ever be able to do that. You will not respond to a public appeal to prayer. You you just don't do public stuff, and that's okay. God just works in our church in a different way. But maybe God is calling you to repent, however that feels to you today, of something in your life. And we're not going to look at you and think, oh, man, I knew something was wrong in her life. Man. It's always a fear, isn't it? If I acknowledge my sin, they're going to think I've been embezzling our company for millions of dollars. What is it that God wants to do? Let me pray and let's respond. I'll be over at the crosses and deacons will be back in the commons area behind the pews if you want to pray there. And you can pray at the altar. I know you won't, but you can Let's just let God respond. Let's respond to what God wants to do in our lives. Lord, it's enough of me talking. Just be quiet. I pray that you would move in our midst. Maybe today, may may not be today, maybe months to come. I don't know. Maybe in ways that we wouldn't expect. But Lord, we do know that so oftentimes we show up like the congregation at Jersey Village just expecting everything to be the way it's always been. And sometimes it's just one person that opens the door for the floodgates to come through for you to move in our midst. And we don't need for you to move in a big demonstrative way. Forgive us if we expect that. Forgive me for 24 years of expecting that. Help us to respond the way Westgate needs to respond. The way we need to respond as individuals. So, Lord, this time is yours. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's respond.
what God said together. Amen. God bless you.